Oh, dear. We become a race of peeping toms. What people ought to do is get outside their own house and look in for a change. Yes, sir. How's that for a bit of homespun philosophy? about you, but for myself, I have never shied away from any story which involves coincidence, because real life produces many more outrageous coincidences than the fertile brain of any author can dream of. History teems with them. If Mrs. Grant had not disliked Mrs. Lincoln, the play they would have attended was Aladdin at Grover's Theater, and the president would not have been at Ford's Theater to be assassinated. No sense in belaboring the point. The fact is that coincidence is a fact of life and the axle of the wheel about which this story revolves. Our mystery drama, The Dead, Dead Ringer, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Ian Martin and stars Don Scardino. It is sponsored in part by your Singer Sewing Center and Buick Motor Division. I'll be back shortly with Act One. Every snowflake under a microscope has a different pattern. That there is no such thing as a perfect pair of matching diamonds. That each ant differs from his fellow ant. And that, with the exception of identical twins, no two human beings can be born alike. It may be true. You may like to believe that. After all, we like to think of ourselves as individuals. Suppose, just suppose, that it is not true. Somewhere, every man has a perfect double. Bring them together, the man and his double, and you have the perfect coincidence. Let's start off by meeting Detective Third Grade Bruce Hart. Come. You said for me, Captain? Yeah, Bruce, come on in. Close the door. Am I on the carpet? No, son. You just had it pulled right out from under you. Sit down. Oh, thank you, sir. I don't want to stretch this out. I feel lousy enough as it is. We got a little something going this stinking year of 1931. It's called the Depression. You may have noticed. <laughs> yes, sir, Captain. It's uh, kind of hard to miss. So they're cutting the force. I've been struggling with my quota all day. You mean I'm getting the balance? My hands are tied. For my money, still wet behind the ears, you're the best man I've got on my squad. I hate to lose you. Do I turn in my badge and gun right now, sir? No, I, um... I got a little assignment to take some of the sting out, if you want to take it. What is it, Captain? Mario Procacci. The persuader? Yeah. Only he ain't doing much persuading now they got him behind bars. Except even in a maximum security prison like Sing Sing, he's still running connections. So he's going to be moved. Where? The island. Alcatraz? Yeah. 
Someone's got to see he gets there safe. You want the job? Darn right. I figured it was the least I could do. You'll get travel pay per diem and a couple of weeks left over after you make the delivery. No hurry to get back. Take your dime. Maybe. Maybe what, sir? Maybe there'll be some changes. Something will open up. Ah, who am I kidding? The whole country's going down the drain. I'll be lucky if I've got a desk to call my own by then. Good luck, son. I was looking forward to a long association with you. You'd have made one hell of a cup. They turned my prisoner over at Penn Station. Manacled to me. Sullen. Hiding behind dark glasses. Uncommunicative. Avoiding my glance as much as everyone's. It wasn't until we were beyond Philadelphia that he took off his glasses and even looked at me. Holy mother. What is it, Fakachi? It's the first good look I took of you. Somebody give me your moniker. Hot, right? Uh-huh. I get the word you ain't going to be P.D. much longer. That's none of your business. Who's to say? Could be. What do you want? The keys to the cuffs and what's my take? I ain't that crude. I know I ain't gonna beat this rap, so I just sit it out. What are you after, Mario? Oh, I don't know. Just the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, coincidence is so wild. What coincidence? You, the spitting image. I seen lookalikes, but you, I never seen such a resemblance. To whom? Howie Marsden. He one of the boys? Think of kidding. Howie's like one of the four hundred or like that. Uh-huh. Friend of yours? I know him. I know lots of guys in the right places. You got something on him? No, they like that. This is social. Look, everybody wants to make me some kind of monster. I'm just a businessman like anyone else. Oh, my heart bleeds for you. You just picked the wrong business. What's so bad about booze? Under prohibition, the amount of guys who lose their lives trying to run it. And cheat Uncle Sam out of revenue. Look, how'd you like to argue about, say, yeah, a hundred grand? To let you fly the coop? Something like that. Who's the payman? You could talk to Howie. This Howard Marsden? Yeah. Uh, one of the 400 best families? So? He wants to give me 100,000 green ones. He might. To spring you? Could be. No dice. Okay. <laughs> Can't blame the guy for trying. Ed, how do we sleep in this here drawing room and tied together, man? I'll show you, lover. No sweat. The only thing burns me is you get the lower bunk. Now, come. Because you get chained to the inside, snug and tight and below me, where you can't try anything fancy while I sleep. The next day, Mario didn't bring up the subject of Howie Marsden again. Except while I read a book, I'd be conscious of him studying me out of the corner of his eyes, shaking his head in a sort of wonderment. After dinner that second night, he brought the man's name up out of the blue. I met him back in, uh, 27, like. You met who? Howie, Howie Marsden. That's funny. I, uh, I don't see you mingling with the 400. It was on account of my daughter. And she was going to this real ritzy college. 
Howie was a graduate student in law in the same town. He had the hots for Penny. Your daughter? Yeah, Penelope's the full name. Penelope Clyde. You see, she thought her father was dead. How come? Well, she's the only kid I ever had. Her mother, God bless her soul, died soon after she was born. I didn't want none of what I was to rub off on my kid. They found me a nice, good, solid family to bring her up. Your daughter? Yeah. It was done to a clean mouthpiece, nice and legal and all. Adopted. But I seen there was plenty of money, and I watched everything happen to her like a hawk. She was my own, wasn't she? You gave her quite a break. No, I didn't. <laughs> Every guy pulled some bonehead play sooner or later, and the real sucker play that I made was with Howie. How do you figure? He checked out perfect in every way. I knew Penny was nuts about him. I agreed to the marriage, but the one mistake I made was letting him know who I was. Ah, uh, he tried to put the bite on you. Well, not straight out. He started law practice. I threw a few things his way to help him out. Legit stuff. But this boy may have had a social background a mile long, but come to the long green, he had the shorts. I let him in on a few things a little over the line. What the devil? He was family. And this way, like I was an old client of his, I could see Penny now and again. And not using my own name. Then. Then what? Suddenly the heat was on. I seen the feds were boxing me in. I had some, uh, certain things I wanted put by safe in case I hit the slammer. So I... Okay, I said enough. I sit here looking at you and forgetting you're a cop. <laughs> it's my honest, open face. It's the baby faces hang the double O on you. Except I got a nice, strong hunch you ain't like Howie. I thought you said I was the spitting image. Outside, yeah, yeah. Inside, something else again. Why? You think he's slipping you the double cross? Look, Hart. Uh, that's the handle, right? That's the handle. I want you to do me a favor. All I want you to do is to take my son-in-law a little message from me. Five C's. No go. I'll make it a G. One thousand. <laughs> I don't remember you carrying that kind of lettuce, Sonia, when we boarded the train. And don't make jokes. I ain't got it. But I'll send you in San Fran where you'll get it. Now, this is all clean. I'll give you the message by word. You can see there's no harm in it. And it's... Well, it's to protect my daughter. You're wasting your time. You read that folder you're carrying on me, didn't you? Uh, cover to cover. Reads like a bestseller. And you know what I'm carrying inside my chest. The medics laid it out. A real bum ticker. I may never get off that island we're headed for. Now, hard. give me a break. No. Give my kid a break, will you? I swear you can't get hurt. Okay. What's the message? Just remember, you can be replaced. That's all? That's all. Look, what's the catch? Why me? Why pay all that dough? And any of your boys could get the same word to him and throw a hell of a lot bigger scare into him than I could. Oh, nobody. That's the whole point. That's just the point. I don't get it. 
You will. When you see Howard Marston. I'm not going to defend it. I thought it over that night and I made up my mind. Who was I going to hurt? And at least I could maybe help out an innocent girl. He could smell this guy Howie was a wrong one, whatever he was trying to pull. I had read that doctor's report, and Mario sure wasn't coming off that island. And it was depression time, and no job, and a thousand bucks is a lot of dough. Just go there like it's dinner time. Ring the bell unannounced. Now, now the best way would be to go after dark and uh, kind of keep your hat down and your coat collar up in case it's a maid or a penny who opens the door. If it's them, you have to see Howie. If he's not there, you'll go back? I'm not so sure I like it. You're using me to put the fear of God into this guy your daughter married because I look like him. I'm not exactly a fool. You're turning the screws on the guy. You got it. Well, does he deserve it? I ain't quite sure. Now, look, look, look kid. There's no involved. With California property laws like they are, he might even want to risk not sharing it with her if something happens to me. I don't trust the guy. But you trust me. How come? I spent three days tied to your wrist. I may have no education, but I can read character. Train's falling down. We're almost there. Now, let's put it on the table. I know better than anyone I'm dying up the ante all you want, but give me what may be my last chance to protect my kid. It was just turning dark. I went out by cab, but paid him off at the gate and walked up to the house. It wasn't large, but it spelled money and good taste. I was just about to mount the steps to the front door when I heard it. It was a shot. I should have taken off running, but my cop's instinct made me go for my own gun and run towards the front door. As I got there, the door was opened violently, and the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life came running out, a thirty-eight revolver in her hand. Who's that? Who are you? Police? Yeah, police. Oh, thank the Lord. Oh, help me. Please help me. Just drop the gun. The gun? Oh, oh yes. Who fired that shot? Oh, I did. Uh, sort of. I mean, my husband, he... Good, good Lord. Hi. I didn't shoot you. You're a lie. Oh, how good you... Oh. One good look at me, and she passed out. I couldn't blame her once I got inside. Because the dead man who was shot and lying on the floor could just as easily have been me. He was more than a spitting image. He was a dead ringer for me. I promised you coincidence, and here we have it with a vengeance. Except, whose vengeance? A dying crime boss who still might be able to let a contract? A distracted and unhappy wife? Or a person or persons unknown. The only way to find out is to wait a couple of minutes until I return with Act Two. Mm-hmm. 
see now. Where were we? Oh, yes. A beautiful young woman with a gun practically still smoking in her hand, not unsurprisingly fainting as she is caught in seeming flight, particularly since the man who has caught her is, one, a policeman, and two, as close in looks to her dead husband as an identical twin. One further note before we turn this story back to the protagonists, or antagonists, as the case may be. The room in which the dead man lies, as indeed we will later discover the whole house, is an utter shambles. It has been searched desperately for something. Here, Penny, drink this. Hmm? Oh, no. It's, it's okay. It's just some brandy I dug up. It'll clear your head. Oh. 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 What happened? That was the question I was going to ask you. You? Who are you? No one to be afraid of. Yes. Uh, this is the kitchen. 
Looks like a cyclone hit this as well as your living room. And I'll take a long bet. The whole house. Yes. You grab a chair. Sit down and tell me fast what happened. Well, well, Howard hasn't been living here for quite a while. This evening, I was out visiting a friend. Boyfriend? A man I know. He's a lawyer. Well, which were you visiting him as? Friend or lawyer? Both. And uh, while I was with him, there was a phone call from Howard. He... He what? Well, I don't know if I should be talking to you. Mrs. Marsden, I'll level with you. I really am a detective. I had a valid reason for being here tonight. I think I'm probably the only person in the world who can really help you. But first, I have to know your whole story. It's a gamble. You want to trust me? Okay. It was Howard's voice on the phone. He said, uh, he said he'd been thinking things over and that he thought he'd been wrong and that he'd be back at the house at 7.30 and could I meet him there alone so we could talk. The boyfriend heard this? My lawyer. Yes. I mean, he heard my end of the conversation. Well, didn't he want to go with you? Yes, but George... Who? George Redding. Uh, that's my lawyer. Oh. He had another appointment he couldn't put off. With whom? Oh, I don't know. Business. So what did you do? Oh, well, I wanted to think about a lot of things. I took a cable car to Fisherman's Wharf and just wandered among the crowds. And, and then I came back up over the hill and drove back and... Arrived here just a few minutes before you did. Well, tell me what happened then. Well, the lights were on in the living room, and uh, one of the doors to the patio was open. I just walked in, and one look was enough to freeze me with terror. Why? Well, you you see the way everything is ripped apart, and, and then I. Uh, saw Howie lying on the floor and the blood. Well, I went to him. Um, this uh, uh, this revolver uh, was lying beside him and stupidly I picked it up and suddenly before I knew what was happening, somebody grabbed me from behind and one arm locked around my throat until I could hardly breathe and the other hand closed over mine and made me fire that gun. And then I, I was thrown violently forward. Before I could get to my feet, whoever it was, it disappeared. Man or woman? I couldn't tell. You don't believe me, do you? I'll tell you something, Mrs. Marsden. My being here is an accident. Count me out for the moment. Either you killed your husband and tore this house apart looking for something, or you were framed, set up. But who would want I don't know. But if we want to get you off the hook, we're going to have to move fast. What do you mean? If you're supposed to be caught red-handed, someone must already have called the police. You think I could pass for your husband? Oh, of course. It's hard for me even to look at you and think that how is... I mean, if I can't tell the difference, how could anybody else? 
I'll give you 24 hours. You'll have to brief me, prompt me, cover for me. But for those 24 hours, your husband isn't dead. You got me? You got a freezer downstairs? Yes. Is it full of food? No. Since we broke up, it's practically empty. Think we can fit your husband's body in there? I guess. Okay, then we better move fast and get rid of him and that bloodstained rug before those cops arrive. We barely had time to dispose of the late Mr. Marsden and get our story straight. But I was really Mr. Marsden and not just the stand-in for the corpse. Then the police were there. And after some milling and jockeying about, Penny and I were alone with the Lieutenant Roper. And you say you have no idea what the perpetrator was looking for, Mr. Marsden? Not the slightest. You figure they found what it was? I mean, uh, is there anything missing, Mrs. Marsden? I don't think so. I haven't had time to check. Well, if you should find anything missing, or that the guy might have been looking for, you could let me know at the department. Yes, I'll do that. Maybe if nothing turns up, I would like to check back here with you by tomorrow night. I'll uh, have to take the gun that was fired, but I can arrange to leave you another for protection if you want. I think Penny ought to have one. Uh, just one question. You're certain that neither of you caught even a glimpse of the perpetrator? I didn't. Nor I. So neither of you know whether it was a man or a woman, even. That's right. Yes. Okay. Well, I'll arrange about the gun and uh, leave you alone, Mr. and Mrs. Marsden. I was surprised at the weight of the gun he left with us. A big, heavy forty-five that looked like was surplus. But I was glad he didn't ask too many questions. I already had my neck stretched way out. And there was a lot to do as fast as possible. As soon as he left, I got a few things straight with Mrs. Marsden. Under the circumstances, wouldn't it be easier to just call me Penny? Okay. And my name's Bruce. Penny, for starters, a big question. How do you know it is? How do I know what? How do you know my name is Bruce? Oh. How do you know I'm not the guy who ripped up the house? The guy who made you fire the gun? Oh, well, I... I don't know. I... I haven't thought about it. Everything's been so... What are you doing here anyway? As it happened, I came to bring your husband a message. Oh, from whom? Your father. But my father's dead. Not your real one. But that's going to have to wait. If you're worried about me, you have a gun for protection. I I don't know why, but I'm not worried about you. Okay. Put it, I'm worried. I'm way out on a limb unless we can figure out who really killed your husband. So first off, what was the person looking for? I don't know. I, I have no idea. Would your boyfriend know? He's not my boyfriend. He only wants to be. Well, we'll ask him. Did your husband have a girlfriend? <laughs> All the time. Oh, played the field, did he? Oh, but not totally promiscuous. Just one at a time. His last one seemed to have him sewed up pretty well. Who? Honey Child Cox. The, uh, well, you should pardon the expression, the stripper? Mm-hmm. 
The first thing has to be what they were looking for. It's still got to be there. How do you know? Because if it had been found, the damage would have stopped. It didn't. So that means it wasn't found. Whoever was looking was thorough, which means it isn't here or else Howie was one smart cookie. Let's see if we can be smarter. I tried all the trick places. The bottoms of drawers, uh, in back of the styles between the drawers, under the top of the toilet tank, a thousand other gimmicky little hiding places people dream up. Finally, the corpse itself. The clothes had been searched. Pockets turned outside in, linings ripped out, trouser cuffs torn apart. There was one last final possibility. Bullseye! His left armpit was shaved, and taped underneath it was a safe deposit key. Number 2824. I've never seen it before. It's not mine. I wonder. Where did your husband bank? Uh, uh, first underwriters. We both have accounts there. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I am so tired. Well, you have time for, let's see, about a four-hour nap. Oh. We can't do much else but wait until the morning. Oh. But nine o'clock, you and me are going to be waiting for the bank to open up. Mm. Oh, uh, before you hit the sack... Can you show me something with your husband's signature on it? Of course. But why do well, you... Well, I'm in this far. I might as well go all the way. I'll have to practice it so we can get that safe deposit box open in the morning. It all went just as easily as if I'd been Howard Martin himself. Alone in the bank room with Penny, we opened the large box. It contained only two things. A sealed letter addressed to Penny, or to whom this may concern, and dough. Wads of it, in old bills, mostly hundreds, but some packages of thousands. It had to be at least a million dollars. I've never seen so much money. Not many of us do. Here, better open this letter. Oh, I'm, I'm too nervous. Why don't you? One, because it definitely says to whom this may concern but mainly because it's addressed to you. You better check it. See what it is. If, as Bruce suspects, there is a million dollars in currency, that's a nice, healthy motive for murder. But whose money is it? Where does it come from? And does the note tell who it is intended for? Those are questions we can answer when I return with Act Three. Thanksgiving is a day of tradition, like Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Exciting football rivalry. And of course, family and feasting. Traditionally, the Friday and Saturday after Thanksgiving are great sale days at Macy's and Bamberger's. Two days of tremendous savings on furs, fashions, and accessories for the whole family. Marvelous home furnishings, TVs, stereo appliances, and a matchless selection of gifts. The Friday and Saturday after Thanksgiving. Traditionally, two great days for everyone to shop and save at Macy's and Bamberger's. A Fisher-matched stereo system featuring the famous Powerpack 190B receiver, two-way Fisher speakers, and BSR changer. If purchased separately, these components would cost you $520. This great system is now just $300 during Macy's and Bamberger's Thanksgiving weekend sale. 
Bruce proved to be incredibly accurate in his guess. The contents of that safe deposit box added up exactly to a million dollars. But they mattered far less to Penny than the stunning content of the letter, which read substantially as follows. My dearest Penelope, someone is trying to kill me. Most probably someone your father has provided for the dirty business. If I'm lucky, no one will ever read this. I shall have my divorce from you and shall quietly steal away with this fortune your father gave to me for safekeeping. If Mario Procacci even suspects I dream of double-crossing him, I know my death warrant is signed. I wonder who my executioner is. Is it you? Did sweet Penelope know all the time who she really was? And when the moment came, was it like father, like daughter? Well, as I say, if this is being read, what the hell's the difference? I'll see you there someday in hell, Howie. My Apocachi? That, that gangster is my father? Now, now, he didn't bring you up, Penny. But he was responsible for my being brought into the world. If he was, he was also responsible for seeing to it that you and your foster parents never wanted for anything in all your life. Oh, of course. You were the messenger, weren't you? Oh, you must be a great friend of my father's. Hardly. And I, I... suppose you think you have me in the perfect spot now. You can blackmail me into silence by threatening to expose me as Howie's murderer. Are you? No. Can you prove it? Yeah. No. Well, then there's still a lot of work to be done. Incidentally, for your information, I was no friend of your father's. I was, and still am, a police officer who was assigned to escort him safely from Sing Sing to Alcatraz. Alcatraz? My last job for the police department was to deliver your father safely to... to where he is. But there's no time to talk about me now. I've got to get going. Where? Can I go with you? No. I do this by myself. I am not going back to that house. Darn right you're not. We're checking you into a hotel, and just for everyone's safety, I'm providing an old ex-cop friend of my father's to stand guard over you. To protect me or watch me? Maybe a little of both, till I check out some loose ends. The lawyer boyfriend was first, and although I didn't know him from Adam, he certainly thought he knew me. Mr. George Redding, attorney, just as obviously didn't like who he thought I was. Why should I tell you, Howie, where I was between 5.30 and 7.30 last night? You were with my wife last night at 5.30, weren't you? You know darn well I was. You called me here at my office and I answered. At my office. Note that. So don't think you can start any kind of divorce action on the basis of that. Were you together from 5.30 until she came to meet me at the house? No, I was not. I had business to attend to. We parted after your call. Where did you go? That is none of your business. But I'm going to answer you before you go digging. For your information, during that time, I was doing what Penny was apparently doing, thinking about you and her in the future. I rode all the way out to Monterey and sat looking at the sea, trying to figure out an acceptable or even unacceptable way to get rid of a toad called Howard Marsden. I didn't get back until after 11. 
I didn't stop to eat or for gas. I didn't see anyone I knew. That's not much of an alibi. I don't need any alibis. I guess you don't, George. If you did, I'm sure you'd have set one up. It wasn't enough to strike George off the list altogether, but my hunch was he wasn't my man. If he was a murderer, he was the best actor I'd ever seen. Because when what would have been a corpse to him walked in unannounced, he hadn't even turned a hair as he greeted me. My greeting from Honeychild Cox was something else again. When she opened her door and grabbed me, she smothered me. She was a big woman, a lot of women, but she had all the strength of a man. Holly, baby. Oh, my God, sweetie. Where you been? Hey, honey, <laughs> take it easy. When did I ever? Oh, Lordy, it's so good to see I could eat you up. I swear. This poor little southern gal thought some of those rough old boys had gotten you. Come on in, sugar. Come on in. Why didn't you use your key? Uh, I, uh, I forgot. Well, where you been all the live long night? I've been fretting myself half to death. You didn't sack up again with that two-bit little wife of yours. No, honey, nothing like that. Well, you just better not have. Or honey's liable to pull your ears off. Nobody two times me. You think I would? Oh, not with my Vegas connection, sweetie. No, I don't think you'd run out on little old honey child while she still wants you. And while you're still into me for all the hard-earned dough I was silly enough to lend you. To keep those iron-nosed boys from breaking my darling's legs. Did you make a deal with your wife to get yourself and me off the hook? Well, I'll tell you, honey child. You told me whose brat that skinny little runt was. You promised you could get her to pay off so you could pay me back and get the Vegas bunch off your back. Okay. Did she come through? Oh, sure. Didn't I tell you I could wind her around my little finger? Let the money talk. Well, I will, in a moment. Mm -hmm. hey, where were you last night from 5.30 on so that I couldn't reach you? Why? Did you call? Sure, but I couldn't get any answer. Well, that's because I was beat uh, after my last performance. I figured I wouldn't see you till around about midnight, so I took some pills and I slept me practically around the clock. You were all alone? Didn't go out? Baby, would I cheat on you? Do we have to go back to the house? It would look funny if at least one of us wasn't there when Lieutenant whatever his name is. Roper. That's right. Anyway, when he checks back. Besides, there's the little matter of your husband's body. Oh, don't please. The impression I've been getting around is that he was a gambling, cheating Welsher. Are you all that sorry to see him dead? I'm sorry to see anyone dead. Are you, Penny? Or is that just as phony a mask as Honeychild's southern accent? What do you mean? Process of elimination. Your lawyer, George, could have killed Howie. Honeychild could have. I don't think they did. You don't think I did? You were the only logical one left. But here's why I'm gambling you didn't.
planet was in. I said I'd drop back tonight. Yeah, I've been expecting you. Shall we go in the living room? Sure. You, uh... You've been a pretty busy guy today. Really? How come? Well, like when I'm following up a case, it's always a surprise to find someone going before me. How? George Redding, Honey Child Cox. In the connection with the attempted robbery or whatever here, I followed them up as leads. And I kept an eye on the bank. I'm not surprised. And, uh... Why not just call me Howie? Why? Well, like you said, you know me. Hmm. We alone, darn right. What's the gun for, Howie? The one you were stupid enough to give me. The protection. The one that looks something like this. That's right. Now, who the devil are you anyway? Where's Howie? What did you do with him? After you killed him? Okay. Okay, you want me to say it? Sure. After I killed him. To try to frame his wife. Why not? He swore the safe deposit key was at the house. I made him call Penny, then we drove there. When we got in, he tried to jump me, and I killed him by accident. It didn't matter. I was going to anyway once I had the key. You knew about the money Howard had hidden for Mario? I was part of the whole setup. I knew Mario had his stake put away. I got overextended. My payoffs were gone with Mario in jail. So I had a ready-made situation to set up a pigeon and get away with murder. That's smart. Only you couldn't find the key. I had you to do that for me. So what did you do with Howie? He's in the freezer. No good. It doesn't matter. What do you mean? I can dump Howie's body. And we'll just do it all over again with you doubling for him. The guns are all set up. Ah, uh, yes. But you're not afraid I might fire this one first? You think you stand a chance? <laughs> it's loaded with blanks. Very clever. Only this time, how do you get Penny's fingerprints on the murder gun as cleverly as you did the last time? I'll figure that out. Well, say goodbye, smart stuff. You're about to take a long ride. This is a gun, Lieutenant. Uh, and it doesn't have blanks. Don't even blink. Right fire. And the gun I've been holding has been reloaded. It's just as lethal. Two to one. As a payoff cop who always knew the odds, why fight them when they're against you? <laughs> How he fooled me. I was young. He looked awful good. And he fooled my foster parents as well. But the last couple of years, I finally saw through him for what he was. If he'd ever been honest with me, he, he, he could have had all the money I didn't even know was there. All I wanted was my freedom. What's going to happen now? We have a lieutenant... A long, complicated form of police procedure, confiscation of the money, except for that nice $10,000 reward for recovering it. Lieutenant Roper will get his. And us? We'll both try, as best we can, to start new lives, I guess. I guess. 
Well, as long as we're celebrating, would you like some brandy or something? No. I wouldn't like some brandy or something. Okay. What I might like is the message my father sent to Howie that was supposed to save me. Nothing. Just a warning. Quote, just remember, you can be replaced. Unquote. That's the exact message. Honest. Sure. Maybe I'm going to have to meet that father of mine someday. Like you said, he made some mistakes, but you didn't figure him all bad. Like how? You said... He said... You can be replaced. That was it? Well, maybe... He was smarter than both of us, Bruce. Considering who you are and what you are and all... Couldn't he have stumbled on the truth? It was an entangled legal web... Lieutenant Roper was tried for murder and found guilty on an interesting technicality. The murder gun, which he had recovered, was discovered to have been wiped clean of any fingerprints. And on this basis was eventually traced to have been purchased by him. The money in the safe deposit box was identified by the accident of one bundle of bills as part of a bank robbery and was returned to the bank with the reward paid to Bruce Hart. All's well that ends well. How better to climax a story? I'll be back shortly. As with all good stories, there is a sequel. From the reward and his conscientious handling of the case, Bruce Hart did establish a successful and beyond reproach business in a difficult field. Better than that was a happy marriage that eventually took place, joining Penelope and Bruce. Fate had decreed that Mario Procacci, sometime before the marriage, died on a lonely island, which no longer exists, a victim of a heart attack. Our cast included Don Scardino, E.D. Juster, Leon Janney, and Jackson Beck. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant... The preceding program was furnished by CBS Radio. Your dial is set for news with John Scott. WR New York and RKO General Station. Police locate two bombs in jet at Miami Airport shortly before the plane was to take off. Texan John Connolly says he might run for the presidency on a third-party ticket. Holiday traffic death toll in New York State stands at four. 
It's 50 degrees and partly cloudy mid-Manhattan. The man says mostly clear tonight, the low from 35 to 40. Sunny and mild tomorrow, the high in the middle 50s. This is John Scott with the 8 o'clock edition of the news. What probably would have been almost certain death for all aboard a Bahamas Air jetliner was averted today when first an airline employee and then specially trained police dogs found two bombs aboard a plane at Miami International Airport. No one was hurt, and the bombs were disarmed safely before the plane eventually made its scheduled flight to Nassau in the Bahamas with more than 40 persons on board. Authorities said that a man identifying himself as Ernesto of an organization known as Cuban Power 76 had called a warning about the bombs to a Miami wire service office. WOR's Roger Skibbenis asked Dade County, Florida Public Safety Spokesman Ralph Page why the Cuban Power 76 group had selected the Bahamian airliner as the target for their bombs. Apparently, according again to the caller, it was in pro 